Welcome back to Surf Splendor. This is your host, David Scales. A couple of orders of business before we launch into today's show. SurfSplendorPodcast.com is the website. Everything that we discuss in this episode between Scott and I, you can find photos of it, the videos, links to the articles, all on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. There's also an entire archive of every episode, 144 past episodes, full music archive of every song ever used in Surf Splendor. Everything's available there for free. Uh, The way that it actually is available for free is through the generous donations of listeners. So if you would like to contribute to the good cause and to all of the content that we put out, you can also find that the button to the PayPal link on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then also, um, we're on social media at Surf Splendor. That's a great way to share the show with friends by tagging somebody in our posts. We've got videos uh, and photos of the things that we discuss in this episode, and then a couple of behind-the-scenes videos as well of Scott and I. So check that out. Um, I just rushed through that, but I think I covered all the bases. So without much further ado... Here's surf news for November 30th, 2016. I hope that you enjoy, and I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. Thanks again. Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio... It is Wednesday, November 30th, the last day of November in the year 2016. And I'm Scott Bass, along with David Lee Scales. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. Good to see you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yes, indeed. Broadcasting live from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. The table we're using is stockpiled full of T-shirts. These for members or get holiday I think these might be or? for members of Shack and for holiday gifts. I'm sure you can go online and purchase a Surfing Heritage and Culture Center t-shirt. Surfing Heritage is the Smithsonian of surfing. Surfingheritage.org is their website. So we always want to definitely give a big thanks to them for letting us use their studio as our home studio. And they're going to be having a large photographic display exhibit here at Shack in San Clemente. Uh, beginning in December, and you're going to want to check that out. If you're in the area, please stop by and, you know, quite an extensive uh, selection and collection of photos and imagery here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, and they'll be having um, a lot of those on display, so that'll be good. They always got something good. I would say this is our most professional intro we've ever done, Scott. I feel <laughs> It feels wrong. It, it feels does. dirty. It feels... We haven't it feels slung, too clean. Is haven't what it slung is. one insult at I one know, another. I'm looking at your hair now. <laughs> Dude, that was my favorite last so last show we recorded. I posted a photo of my hair after you were talking about it. Yeah. And had forgotten. Com- uh, people commented. I posted the photo. People started commenting. Oh, the chop hop. Referring to my hair as the chop hop. Yeah, you got which- it. I forgot during the show, you labeled it that. You're like, yeah. that haircut is the chop hop, right. which I'm fully supportive of, by I am the way. Too. I'm it's some, hilarious. I'm somewhat jealous that you have your own gloss for a hairdo. You have your own name and yeah. you have your own hairdo, dude. Yeah. I'm submitting it to the Urban Dictionary. Now, later sadly, today it's a got a little Trump thing on. It's got a little... <laughs> it's got a little... It could be like it's kind of a Trump combo, chop hop Trump. 
like a comb over or what are you talking about? This is all wiry, dude. I don't want to. Just saying there's a little bit of Trump hairdo influence in the chop hop. That's all I'm saying. Everybody has their own opinions about Trump. I don't think anyone feels positively about his hairdo. Even his biggest supporters know that hairdo is silly. Yeah. I would agree with that. And, and the chop hop, by the way, as a surfing maneuver, I don't really want to be associated with, but I love it as a name for a as hair a hairdo. It's absolutely it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So, like I was saying, opening this Friday, that's December second, just a few days from now. Shaq is going to have classic images from the Surfing Heritage Collection, including Tom Blake images from Tom Blake, Clarence Mackey, Warren Bolster, Tom Keck, Leo Hetzel, John Elwell. Robert Van Sternberg, and many more from 6 to 9 p.m. This Friday, if you're in San Clemente, please come by. Admission is free for members and $5 for non-members. But you know what? It's a great time to come by and sign up as a member and sign up your family as a member and become a member here and support what we're doing here at Shack. All ages are welcome. No host bar and free food. So for five bucks, you're going to get a membership. You're going to get all sorts of stuff. Come by, no host bar, free food. You get a meal out of it too. Crazy. Yeah, L and L barbecue. Sweet. So yeah, I mean, honestly, their um, Shaq's photo archive is pretty intense, and like I've ended up on their website sometimes in a black hole, clicking through things. They have amazing photos, and actually aren't on display the rest of the time. Um, Only on display for exhibits like this. So really great opportunity to check that stuff out. Yeah, for sure. Come by. Um, I got a couple of emails. Okay. You want to go through that? Yeah. Um, I should probably look at mine. I haven't even looked. Well, go ahead. I, what I find interesting is you and I, I think, are pretty, I don't know, We're Southern California-centric. You yeah. know, like we just kind of get in our little hole and we see people in the water maybe that listen to the show and we're just kind of focused on this and the waves that are happening here. But I get emails from listeners around the world, which is actually really rad and it reminds me um, how great this platform is as a podcast. It's free to download. You can listen to all the archives for free. You can listen anytime you want. So that's why we're such big fans of podcasting. But this is one of those emails that came from a listener in New Zealand. So I'm going to mispronounce a lot of the words in this uh, location-wise and stuff. But anyways, he says, love the podcast. Donated to you guys today, which I see as money well spent. Last week in New Zealand, we had a 7.8 earthquake centered right next to the sleepy little East Coast tourist town named Kaikoura, which has now shut off, which is now shut off from the rest of the country. Kaikoura happens to have some of the premier surf spots in the South Island of New Zealand and New Zealand in general. These spots include a couple of on their day world class points included in a photo, which he attached to this email is Mangamanu doing its thing anyway. And the photo was incredible, by the way, this right point right off the highway. Um, anyway, The earthquake forced the seabed to rise as much as 2.5 meters in certain sections. The New Zealand surf community was terrified that this would have destroyed some classic New Zealand surf spots. However, the first swell hit on Saturday New Zealand time, and if anything, the seabed rise has improved some spots and created some new spots along the coastline for people to explore. This has got the surf community buzzing about being the first to surf some of these new spots. And some surfers are sneaking into Kaikoura illegally on closed roads, cutting farmers' fences, etc., just be able to, just to be able to reach the town. Anyway, I wanted to see if whether or not you guys knew of any other recent natural disasters slash events that have created new surf spots. Obviously, there have been man-made events that have created or destroyed spots like Kira and the Superbank. 
but this a particularly rare incident um but is this a particularly rare incident uh that has happened to your knowledge would be interested in your thoughts well the answer is no there's been uh all along that ring of fire there um certainly in the mentawai's region and all around sumatra and up into neos and the telos and that whole region new spots are made and destroyed quite often actually yeah relative to the space of time known as you know the earth being here for millions of years i mean <laughs> right you know like um i know that neos the the Lug- Lug- lugundri bay yeah. has gotten better right. because of an earthquake same exact thing happened yeah, yeah. it got more hollow it used to be really good and yeah it got unbelievably good yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and um there's a wave called asu where um I forget the name of the little right hand. There's a big right hander, kind of like Sunset Beach, on one side. It's the wave that Tom Kern rode the oh, um, yeah. the little fireball fish at. Yeah, and, and, and the names I've surfed it, but I can't remember the name right yeah. now. But Asu's on the other side of it. It's a left point, re- like a left reef, and it got way shallower and, and heavier, mm. you know. And so I'm sure that there are many spots around the Mentawized region and that whole region, as I said, that have been affected by earthquakes and and you know, so some waves get shallower, some waves disappear, some new waves pop up, and um, you know it's constantly changing there, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't really watch the news at all because it's pretty much just depressing, and yeah. anything that's super important, I end up finding out about anyways. So I don't right. need to be bothered by the day to day depression of it. But I was unaware of this earthquake even taking place in New Zealand. Oh. Seven point eight earthquakes, pretty yeah. massive. Um, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, no kidding. So I appreciate listeners keeping me. And there was an earthquake in Japan off Fukushima. Yeah, I saw that. And um, I know there was a tsunami that was um, that took place. There was a you know like a three point three meter tsunami. Yeah, a series of tsunamis, right? Well, shout out to our listeners in New Zealand. Yeah, well, that's cool that they're. I like. I kind of like. I kind of smiled a little bit when I heard they're sneaking into surf spots. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the. Uh, you know, that's sort of in our culture to be a little bit, you know, deceptive would be the nicest way to put it Yeah. when it comes to accessing surf spots. So, yeah. you know, yeah, private property, be damned. I mean, right? We used to do that at Trestles. Well, Un- not you and I, but back in the day. Yeah. Uncrowded surf is the ultimate goal, you know? Right. Yeah. However you get there. Yep. Well, what do you got, Scott? You I got have anything? an email from our friend David Kramer who says... What are your thoughts on Degree 33 surfboards? I know they are around in your backyard somewhere. And one of my mates has a couple of them, which I tested down in Nicaragua, and I've had some fun waves on them. Happy Thanksgiving, D.C. And my thoughts are, those are great surfboards. I know my my good friend Bill Menard designs those boards. Oh, okay. And Bill Menard's a legendary shaper in the San Diego area and a super humble, nice person. And a guy that um, has made me some of my greatest surfboards. So, yeah, Degree 33. Yeah, I've seen those boards around. By the way, um, last week I published an episode on Surf Splendor with Wayne Rich. Did you you get a chance to check it? No, but I mean, I talk to Wayne every week. Yeah. I talked to him yesterday for like an hour and a half. Oh, did you really? So, Um, I don't know. What what were some highlights? Do you have some quick highlights? Well, yeah. I mean, to be honest, he just deflects any sort of praise that I would try to heap upon him. Or 
I would ask him some details about some board designs that he's working on, and he immediately shifts to all the people that he learned from and really just, like I said, deflected any contributions that he's made to board building. Um, so the highlight for me is just the guy's humility and graciousness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But anyways, I got a comment, um, or I got a number of comments on the website from people saying that they loved the episode and loved Wayne and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, so I just wanted to point that out to listeners. If anybody missed that last week, it's well worth going back to just a profile piece with surfboard shaper Wayne Rich. One, one thing was that, you know, he grew up in the South Bay during a pretty iconic time in board building. And so that was kind of interesting to hear about his youth. And yeah. That sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, the South Bay in Southern California was, you know, it was the epicenter of board building in the fifties and sixties and seventies, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. And there are pockets here, of course, in Dana Point, which is the home of Hobie Alter, and and then down in San Diego, and another, you know, Santa Barbara too. But um, certainly at the in the heyday of surfboard building, after the Gidget craze sort of kicked in, when they were banging out so many boards, you, you know, it's like there was like seven massive in, industrial facilities down in the South Bay. You yeah. know, between Greg Knoll and all the other guys, Bing. Jacobs. They were just pounding Weber. them out. I mean, and then, so it was just a hotbed of craftsmanship, you know, Mike Eaton, Dan Bendixson, all of these guys, you yeah. know, of course, Phil Becker, you know, it was just like a, it was a place that if you were a surfboard builder, you had to go there. I mean, Donald Takayama went there, Del Velzi, Dick Brewer, they all went there and worked there. When you needed work, it's like you went to the South Bay and Wayne is from that. He was a kid when yeah, that was happening. Exactly. Just, yeah, surrounded by it all. And I think you nailed it, though. It's the Gidget thing, like, ignited cultural interest in this thing. And that was adjacent to Hollywood and able to capitalize on Los Angeles and all that sort of stuff. And obviously all the surf in Southern California as well. Yeah. So just perfect time, perfect place. Um, so something interesting happened. Okay. I went home from our last podcast. And I was scouring the internet, and I saw a position at the WSL mm. for, I think it was Vice President Creative Director. Mm. So I applied. Mm. I applied for this position, which I thought I would be a no-brainer, sh- like, <laughs> no, like throw out the rest of the Adam. applications. I had a nice cover letter. I tailored my whole deal for this new position in in Santa Monica. This was a sincere, a sincere submission. effort. Yes, this okay. was a sincere effort for me to be the creative director of the WSL. Okay. And sadly, I have not heard a peep from them. Wow. Yeah, I didn't get a hey, thanks for your submission, but you don't. There are more qualified candidates, or huh. you don't meet our criteria. Do you want me to send a referral? I think, I think it's too late unless we can do an audio referral right now. Yeah, we know you I guys are listening. my friends Jonathan Marshall. Hey, you're not supposed to use their names. Oh. And, Edit. And um, um, well, Dave Prodan. Yeah. And yeah, well, uh, you guys. Sure, Graham Stapleberg saw my application and flushed it down the toilet. We know you guys are listening. Scott anyway. is great at directing and he's very creative. Anyway, um, what is the job? What were the? Um, it was kind of overseeing new ideas. It was basically like a big ideas job, which yeah. is like I went, oh, I've got a bunch of big ideas, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you know, there was 
there were some other, but it was basically, you know, kind of manage the branding, manage the creative behind it, manage new stuff, come up with new ideas, like in, get the audience, the mainstream audience, even more engaged, mm-hmm. you know. I know they were hiring for the, not the VP, but the actual creative director position about a year ago. Yeah, maybe that's so. what this was. I don't know if it was a vice president. It seemed like it was a a, a high up, uh, like more than a managerial level position. Well, they've done a great job. Whatever, whoever's been in that position for the last, I'd say, 18 months or two years has done a great job with it. Yeah, no. Because they've really improved on yeah. all of that imaging and, and the creative content that they're putting out. Yeah. So, well, Scott, here's uh, to wishing, hoping that they didn't fulfill the position. Yet. I feel like they're like, you know what? Scott would be a great hire, but since we're getting all of his great ideas from the podcast anyway, why for don't free? we just, yeah, for free? I think that's a real deal right there. I think that they don't want to cut off their 90 minutes of entertainment every two weeks that we're providing for them. <laughs> they're like, look, if we bring the guy on staff, then he's not going to be able to speak freely over here. So we'd rather have that free entertainment. That's how valuable or this podcast is. Or they could have is. hired me and just shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is no. this a threat? <laughs> no, 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 no. Then they failed threat. I'm a big fan. Whatever happens, <laughs> it, apparently it wasn't uh, God's will for me to... I think you're you're under... Like, it, they're still in the process of hiring as far as I'm concerned. I don't think you should cut close the door on that yet. It would have been an interesting interview. <laughs> I would have enjoyed the whole interview process. You know, I would have learned a lot more... It's so funny how just you and I sitting here in this library of a shack and how truly sort of naive I am to everything that's going on. And case in point. So last episode, we talked, you and I talked about Mavericks and why they didn't run the event and how lame it was that they didn't run the event. And just really, it was more that you and I were disappointed that Mavericks was 30 feet and Santa Ana offshore perfect and all of the best big wave surfers in the world, more or less, were there. And why didn't they run the event? You know, like if if you're going to run, if you're going to have this waiting period mm-hmm. and it's in within the waiting period, what's the reasoning behind it, you know? And as fate would have it, I ran into Jeff Clark, who was surfing, down in San Diego and Jeff and I had a good discussion about it all and and it got a little heated at points you know Jeff was like Scott you're the only one that cares like there's nobody else that cares that it didn't run you know and I was like well maybe I mean I can't speak for everyone I do know that I'm a fan and and it says that the waiting periods now and the waves are perfect and 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 what I conveyed to Jeff more than anything which is what I conveyed on the air two weeks ago was it's not that they didn't run. It's that they didn't tell us why they didn't run, you know, okay. because the, if the waiting period is, in fact, open and there's a massive swell and the, the waves are perfect, uh, you know, tell us why you didn't run. You yeah. know, like at least give the fans – you got to throw the fans a bone here. You know, yeah. you just can't like leave us alert in the lurch. And so I guess my first question to you, David, is, is it true that are we really the only two that kind of no. gave a crap or no. how big of a deal was it? No, that they didn't run. Like maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. It just seemed like if you're in the big wave world and the waves are huge and perfect, um, and you're in the within the waiting period, you would at least say. I mean, even like the Quicksilver Eddie thing, which we'll get to in a minute. When there's a huge swell on the horizon and and all of us are chomping at the bit, going, "They're going to run the Eddie. They're going to run the Eddie." And then sometimes, many times, they wouldn't. They would at least, you know, 
trot George Downing out and he'd go, wasn't quite, you know, they'd give us a reason. Right. No, I, I don't think we're the only ones that cared. And secondly, I'm really shocked that Jeff Clark thinks you're the only ones that care. I'm, I'm looking at Jeff going, you guys are advertising this event so that people care, so that people watch your event, so that people support what you're doing. Why would you then insult us by saying, oh, I'm shocked that you care about this thing that I'm promoting? No. Well, <laughs> you know what I, I, mean? I do. I do. I was like, I kind of was just like, out of, I was just you know, dumbfounded a little bit. I was like, well, okay, you know. Yeah. And, 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 um, what was his reasoning for why they didn't run the event? So, okay. So, as you and I discussed last time, look, maybe the timing's wrong. All of the cultural energy is over in Hawaii. They, they ran the job, the Piahi event, the Triple Crowns on the North Shore to kind of try to take that energy back over to this coastline for, the Mavericks event in November. So it really, what he basically said is it's not good timing. It's just simply not good timing. Like that event, and, and I'm sort of paraphrasing what he told me, but the, the Mavericks event is better suited for January and February, which quite frankly, he's right. Like I would agree with that. Like once all the energy from Maui and the Eddy and the Triple Crown is over and it's January and we get some big surf here in California, it's a perfect time to run the Mavericks event. But again, I say, well, then why have the waiting a waiting period, period in November if yeah. that's the case? And his answer to that was, well, Scott, if in fact a situation does arise where there is incredibly perfect waves, we want to have the option to, to do it. But in a perfect world, from a marketing standpoint, from a traction standpoint, from the standpoint of the Committee of Five getting to look at the newcomers and determine who actually has got the chops out here, you know, they do need some time each season to kind of at least look at the guys for the next year. Yeah. The perfect situation is January or February. And that eventually, you know, generally, the, the contest is going to go in those months, even though our permit states that we can do it in november well he said if the perfect situation arises we could argue that it did arise exactly. and you didn't capitalize exactly i got a listener uh or an email from a listener ian who lives in morro bay who sent me a link to their local news sources website half moon bay review and the article is entitled mavericks promoters still lack county permit Official site difficulties being paid. And did the other thing that Jeff told me in the parking lot was that <laughs> the politics up there right now are through the roof crazy, like deep personal attacks, um, protests, um, you know, meetings, backroom deals, like crazy stuff that I don't even, I told Jeff, I go, dude, it, that's even too much for me to dig into. Yeah. And it's really a bunch of a lot of egos, um, a lot of like planning commission people, a lot of environmentalists, the Surfrider Foundation. There's just a lot of of stuff that that is involved that, in my opinion, you know, this contest has been very difficult to run. Yeah. From an organizational standpoint. From day one, back when it was before it was even the Quicksilver event, when it was just like this Mavericks event. And then I think the next year it was Quicksilver. But anyway, point is, it's always had sort of a black cloud around it. Yeah. And one of the problems is that because they can only get a year to year permit 
it's very difficult for them to go to whoever and go, hey, sponsor our event. Mm-hmm. And then that company to go, okay, well, we want in for five years, you know, like, you know, or three years even, you know, like we want in for, and they can't, they can't guarantee that, you know, the Titans of Mavericks people are like, well, we've got a permit, we think for this year, but we're still kind of going through it. And, and it's just, it's just very, very deep, dark, and, and almost seems to me from like a completely objective point of view, the best thing to do is to just not even have this event. It's Which just, I'm okay with too. It's total. It's it's the, just too much. The only reason I care about it and want to see it happen is because they advertised it as going to happen. I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm okay with it too. And and you know, frankly, there could probably be um, some other iteration of a Maverick celebration that doesn't involve you know, yeah, an all day event with all the best surfers in the world showing up and clogging the lineup. Well, it's funny. Um, the entire first portion of this conversation was about Jeff mentioning to you that, oh, it's just bad timing and blah, blah, blah. But the real deal is the second half of the conversation kind of undermines the first part of the conversation. The real deal is there's a ton of politics. The permit hasn't been paid. You know, There's a ton of politics. Um, so there's a, there's a lot politics. more going on yeah. than just the wrong There timing. really is. Yeah. It's And it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. And I, I sense that, you know... Even Jeff just looked worn out by it all. Like it's just, and it's really, and I, he showed me some videos of some planning meetings and the tensions are oh, really? so high and it's just, and there's some, it's just, it's a lot of people focusing, like everything seems to be focused towards negativity. Yeah. You know, like there's so many other areas we could be focusing our attention. If it's all, if we're all pointing towards this negative, dark doom and gloom, it's like, why aren't we like, going to North Dakota and helping them or doing something. Like, right. It just seems like really like what a waste of everyone's energy here. I guess I'm not fully clear on what the original two factions were. Is it like an environmentalist thing versus well, some, again, or I, is it two it, different people trying to get paid off of the it's, promotion of it? Or There's I, – again, I can't speak with authority on it. Okay. You know, like Jeff tried to explain it to me and I took some of it in, but I just kind of – it got overwhelming like the different – political bodies and and permitting agencies and then yeah. the environmental people behind that and then people running for office in the city of Half Moon Bay and okay. people running for port commissioner and others it's just it's just this big convoluted got it ego play of politicians and it's it's all really kind of lame i would love um i've never even like tried to make this happen, but I would love to interview Jeff Clark just as a long form interview on the show about He's a great interview. Well, I know he is. And just his stories about surfing Mavericks for, I don't know, two decades with nobody else. I mean, literally two decades by himself on the craziest swells. Insane. And I've heard stories about it where it's like lost his board, blew into the bay, had to swim in Mavericks is 30 feet. It's foggy. Nobody, you can't even see the shoreline. I mean, that is gnarly and there's a lot of drama around the women's situation too like a lot of that plays into the politics of all the stuff that went down really yeah just like you know certain women kind of just like putting their flag in the ground up there and going you have to do this and then those same women you know being invited to the jaws event and getting washed onto the rocks and didn't even catch a wave and there's this whole ethos with the committee of five that you have to be worthy to be invited you oh, know yeah. you just can't like 
demand that you demand get that you get yeah. in because of your gender. Yeah, you know, and and it was like you and I talked about on the last show. You know what? These women better be careful what they wish for mm-hmm. because they're going to be put out into some situations that, quite frankly. Somebody's going to die or could die, and then who's to blame for that? Is right. it like this women's movement that demanded that these girls get thrown out there? Yeah. Or is it the Committee of Five who acquiesced and said, all right, I guess we're going to let them do it, but they probably shouldn't because they know better. Like You are not common sense as, hey, look, if you're good enough to be surfing Mavericks, then we're going to invite you to this event, male or female. Yeah. And I there agree. are probably yeah. a couple of girls that Completely. are worthy, you know, and I don't know who they are. Well, I... But there's a lot. See, there's that too. There's this a whole other part of it that's just. And at some point, you just back away and go, "Whoa, egos are just. This is silly." Yeah. Um, In that light, I got a comment on the website about our last show, where we were talking about the women surfing in the Jaws event. This came from Rebecca on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. She said, "Guys, I get that the women's heats at Jaws left something to be desired, but at least you could get Emily Erickson's name right." She is a legit, accomplished big big wave surfer and suffered a serious injury. Show some respect, and that was directed at me. By the way, I think I misspoke and called her Erica Erickson, uh, but her name's Emily Erickson. So I wonder if she's related to Roger Erickson, big wave charger guy from mm-hmm. the North Shore. No idea. Well, we so apologize. You know what? Yeah. We didn't get her name right. Yep, my bad. That was David's fault. And I hope Emily I'll gets better. Away. Thanks, Rebecca, for that comment, though, and thorough shaming. <laughs> so what about... It's good of tra- you to read it on there. No, of course. Transitioning into the other big wave event that's in the news. Yeah. Uh, we reported prematurely, probably two shows ago, that the Eddie uh, event is called off for this year, or at least that Quicksilver would well, we not be sponsoring it. Yeah, we didn't report it incorrectly. At the time, that was the case. You're right, totally. So what's the news, Scott? Well, the news is, is that the Eddie is back. I think the iCow family and the WSL, when you read between the lines of the press release, which you have to do these days because they make it seem all glorious like there was no big deal. But I think what happened is, this is just my opinion, but I think Paul Speaker and the WSL stepped in and went, wait, you guys, this is a really, really good event. There's tons of legacy and heritage and history, and this is a part of pro surfing that we just can't let this go away. Mm-hmm. You know? And... I think Paul Speaker sort of, and I'm just, again, I'm just assuming this, but what I got from the press release as I combed through it with a discerning eyeball is that Paul Speaker and the WSL, maybe Graham, whoever it was, kind of um, bridged the gap you think between so? Quicksilver and the iCal family and said, hey, look, you guys, big picture here. And what we'll do is we'll step up and make it right. I think the WSL did something to, to kind of bridge the gap maybe financially or operationally. I don't really know, but I, I just got the feeling that that the WSL sort of saved the day here. And again, I could be wrong, but that's what I'm getting from the press release. Well, I'm psyched. I mean, I'm glad it's back on. Me you know too. what I mean? Like, obviously, last, Everybody year's, is. last year's event was so rad that, I mean, I guess it would have been a high note to go out on, but at the same time, I just want to see it recreated, you know? Yeah, and, you know, that event, Traditionally won by Hawaiians for whatever reason, you know, like state of Hawaii residents, I should say. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is that the case? I mean, Kelly's won it. Uh, Greg Kelly, Long won it. John John won it. So John John's a Hawaiian. Bruce is a Hawaiian. Yeah. Right? Noah Johnson, I think. Noah Johnson. Did um, Ross Clark Jones win it one time? Ooh, good question. I think he did. I don't know. I think he did. Yeah. 
So not all Hawaiians, but. And then back in the day, it was, um, uh, what's the guy who used to serve Holly Eve all the time? I forget his name. Anyway, I think Clyde Aikau. Oh, um, um, Downing won it. Um, Keone. Keone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keone won it. So point is, is that it's good for the Hawaiians, too, to kind of keep the thing going. You know, it's yeah. kind of like that's their bloodline to, to the whole nation state surf power of Hawaii. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Uh, when's the waiting period, by the way? Is it on already? I think it's December 1st maybe starts. Yeah, so this they're going to have the ceremony this week. Oh, okay. Right? Cool. So they've got the list. I don't know if you saw the list of invitees to the Eddie this year. Yeah, I did actually. And and it's a fine list and it's a list that you can't, you know, you couldn't with a straight face go, oh, that guy doesn't belong on this list. But when you look at the alternates, and I've looked at the alternates, and then I've looked at the official list, as a fan, there's guys I'd rather see in this contest. Okay. For instance. Yep. As a fan. I want to see Kai Lenny in this event. Yep. Remember how we talked about Kai Lenny last time? I was just talking about him. Or at, uh, at Jaws. Yeah, yeah. Kai Lenny is the world's greatest waterman. You, you can't have the Eddie and not have a Hawaiian who, in my opinion, is the world's greatest waterman not in this contest. Yeah. That just isn't right. I totally agree. Uh, other people on that invitee list, Noah Johnson, former winner, right? Yeah, former winner. If you... If you're a former winner, you should probably be in the event. <laughs> I would think. Unless you're like you've lost your chops, in which case you shouldn't even be an alternate. Yeah. You know, just don't be on the alternate list. Yeah. Um I'd like to see Damian Hobgood on the because he's got competitive chops and he's he's one guy, you watch out for him. He's making his move into the big wave world big time. tour. Totally. And and this is an opportunity for him to kind of shine and He's he's competitively savvy. We know that. Yeah. And so, if he can do the same stuff, which I know for a fact that Damien can, he's he's got cojones totally, and he's got skill. He's got everything. Like to me, there's guys on this list, and I'm not going to name names. Who? Yeah, you're a big wave charger, but we're starting to get to that place in big wave surfing where it takes more than just being a big wave charger with a great, you know, like amongst the underground you're the guy that charges it or whatever okay well there's now there's like a hundred of those guys mm-hmm. it was one thing when there was only 20 of those guys but now they're everywhere mm-hmm. you know they're coming out of the woodwork and they're all legit but if we're going to have a big wave world tour let's get the most competitive savvy guys that are also charging the same level as these quote-unquote underground charger guys and like, let's make it better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, why not have the best competitors? You know, why are we limiting ourselves? A couple of additions to this year's list. Well, I don't know if they're new additions, but they're names that um, look new to me. Billy Kemper, who's deserving. He won Jaws two years in a row now. Yes. I don't know if Billy Kemper was on the invitee list last year, but that guy, I'm thrilled to see him on the list. Um, Tom Carroll, has he been invited before? I'm oh, kind of yeah. surprised no, no, to no. see him. Oh, yeah. I know he's a Quicksilver guy. Tom Carroll. No, I know he's a Quicksilver guy, and I know all of Tom Carroll's accolades, but I don't think of him as a Waimea guy. Oh, yeah. No, no. Tom's a frothing charger like you wouldn't believe. Like, yeah. crazy over the top. Like, Has he if you're in the, the same before? boat with Tom Car- Carroll when you're going out to cloud break, and you think you're not going to surf when it's 30 foot, yeah. you're, in the, you're in the wrong boat, man. And, and I'm not diminishing Tom charge. Carroll's accomplishments, and yeah. I know that he would charge it 
Cloudbreak. I'm just saying I don't think of him as a YMA. I think he broke his leg out there in the last Eddie event. Didn't he? Not the last Eddie event. I think so. I don't think. All right. Maybe maybe he did. Zeke Zeke Lau is a new addition to the Eddie event, which I was surprised to see. And I'm wondering how much of that is a Quicksilver thing. Like, I love Zeke Lau. And I cannot believe any time that guy loses a heat because he's an unbelievably good surfer. But he's a large massive hawaiian charger guy right he's the he next coming of sunny garcia yeah, as like, far well, as i'm concerned yeah, so i don't have a problem with that but i just again you think of guys that get invited to the eddie as guys who have put in their paid their dues out there you've seen him at waimea over the years even mason ho he's a young guy but you've seen him pay his dues there over the years right. zeke lau i don't remember ever seeing out there as compared to guys on the alternate list like nathan fletcher noah johnson nathan florence ramon navarro kai lenny those are the guys i would expect to see on the you know, the the first string, so to speak. A couple of older guys that are included in the event. I already mentioned uh, Tom Carroll, Michael Ho, which is kind of rad that's to see. Insane. I mean, it's kind of rad to so see. That's so cool. Last that year, guy's gnarly, man. Dude, did you see the wave he got a back door like two weeks ago? He's, he's, Free fall drop. His fins like caught at the bottom and it like rocketed him up into kind of a high line. And he just got the longest, craziest pit and blown out. It was we were so talking rad. about who's the... The other day we were surfing and we were talking about who's the who's the... Who's the greatest older shortboarder? Oh, good question. And it was Michael Ho. It was like hands down Michael Ho. Like there's nobody even in the conversation. I, Think, Try to name somebody that's 60 years old. I bet Michael Ho's at least 60, right? Yeah, yeah that's crazy. I was going to say. Maybe he's 59 or something. I was going to say Brad Gerlach, but Brad's not 60. And Brad's not doing what Michael Ho's doing right now. True. Brad's ripping, but he's not dropping in a back door like that. And. Brad's my Brad's younger than me probably. Yeah, Brad's yeah, fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might yeah. be fifty one. Yeah. I bet Brad's fifty. Yeah. Michael Ho. Brad's pretty close. I mean, there's some guys that are close, right? Again, Tom even Tom Carroll's pretty close. There's Tom Carroll, dude, I saw him surfing lowers like a year ago. Ripping. It was so rad. Like he was shredding. So maybe so Michael Ho's gotta be the raddest. What's the age group? <laughs> I mean, you're right, though. Ho's in a different age group than Gerlach is. And Ho... Yeah. You're, but yeah. Ho's and Tom Carroll's... Yeah. No, maybe maybe not. Yeah. Maybe oh, Michael's definitely older than Tom Carroll. Yeah, I don't know. Good news. We anyway, that guy's one. an insane short order. And right now, unless somebody can knock Michael Ho off of our list of the greatest older short border guy... Yeah. Is that how we're going to categorize this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can't think of anybody. I'm sure they're out there, but I mean, are they charging Waimea Bay? Are they getting invited to the Eddy? Well, we saw Carol. We saw Clyde surf in the Eddy last year, and he was riding a single fin. Yeah, and I wouldn't say he ripped it, but he charged a couple of waves. Yeah, like, and he's 62, I think. So that was pretty. Yeah, cool. but I mean, guys, that, like I know they're still at the top. Of their- he's riding a 510. <laughs> I know, and it's like two and a half inches thick. I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, do you have anything else on the Eddy or? Transition into um, the Hall other Eva. thing that's kind of cool is that Keala is on the alternate list. And interestingly, the alternate list, it says here that invitations are if alternates may replace injured or unavailable surfers. And the invitations for the alternates are offered in the following order. So this is the order that the alternates. So Keala is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Keala's number 11. Yeah. Keala could, I mean, it's a long shot. Could 11 guys fall off of this no list? No way. No. 
Luke Shepard is the first alternate. Shepardson. Is he an Australian? No. Hawaiian kid. Hawaiian, huh? Yeah. I've seen him surfing at pipe and stuff. He surfs good. He must have quite a reputation to be above Kai Lenny. Yeah, must. To be above Nathan Fletcher? Yeah. Well, so last year at Waimea, on one giant day that they didn't run. Oh, he's the guy that Kelly was that he, Kelly and yeah. Ross Williams couldn't make it out, and then he caught that bomb. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Good memory, Scott. Well, that's, <laughs> I, once in a while, I get lucky. <laughs> when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, well, did you watch? So last time when we were recording, it was right in the middle of the Holly Eva event. First yes. jewel of the Triple Crown. Yeah. John John Florence went on to win the event. Did you get to watch much of that? Not really. Okay. I watched some of it. Yeah. The Triple Crown, we talked about it. It's. The waves need to be really good for me to be excited about it. Yeah. Well, the, they weren't uh, all time, but they were definitely rippable. And we got to see some cool surfing. I don't I need to I talk. I would have watched it. It wasn't like I went, no, I'm not going to watch it. And I did watch some heats, but I ended up watching early round heats. And I'm just like, who yeah. are these guys? Well, you know? it's funny that two weeks later, it almost completely gets washed away because there's so much content out there that you forget what happened two weeks ago. Exactly. But I will remind you and listeners, because it's worth noting, John John Florence beat Frederico Marias, the uh, Portuguese that guy, kid. That guy is legit. That he Frederico is. Marias guy. Yeah. Isn't he, is he going to qualify for yeah, the CT? Yeah, I think so. Um, but John John beat him in the final after the buzzer sounded they were waiting for scores to come in and they got called out on the beach and then john john barely squeaked out the victory basically frederico needed a 7.34 and on his last two waves he got a 7.33 on each of them the exact same score on both of the waves so like with a few minutes left he needed the 7.34 got a 7.33 and everybody's like oh he just barely lost but he still has three minutes left he'll get another chance gets another wave rips it they're on the beach waiting for the scores again 7.33 so lost by one one hundredth of a point twice brutal i know it is brutal because you go john john he's a world title guy he's gonna win a bunch of world titles he's got a triple crown or two already like he doesn't need this other little victory frederico could really use this victory you almost want frederico to win 
But anyways, John John was ripping. There's no denying it. So well, I spoke with Steve Sherman um, on the phone, and um, he's he's over there on the North Shore for the next five weeks or whatever, and he's doing some. Many of you know Steve Sherman's a legendary photographer and does a lot of um, does a lot of really good uh, portrait, yeah, lifestyle stuff and yeah. portrait stuff, and he tells good stories. And um, he was basically saying, look. It's kind of the season of John John, you know, because John John wrapped it up early and there's these celeb- everywhere you go. There's these big, you know, not everywhere, but there's a lot of signs just like, you know, that some kid in fourth grade made that's put up on a right. telephone pole somewhere that says John John this or John John that. And it really feels like, according to Steve, that and, and rightfully so, by the way, that it's sort of like the the Hawaiian season of John John, like, you know, everyone's. Everyone's paying the proper accolades to him right now. And so for him to win Hollywood just kind of makes sense. Well, the guy's won the Eddie this year. He's oh won God. the world title. That's a great way to he put it. He won the first jewel of the Triple Crown. You know, it's like – and we've all been – this has been foreshadowed for yeah. 15 years. Like we've been waiting for this to Plus happen. Plus the 12 and, series from Hurley. And now it's coming to fruition. It's just like everything, yeah. you know, like what's next? Kelly's going to say he's his father. <laughs> I mean, that could only be the only thing left in the in the final. Truly. There's still a month left where Kelly could admit it. I mean, there's still like five decades left. I feel like that's something that comes out on Kelly's deathbed, really. You know what I mean? I don't think he there's could like prematurely a, deliver a that. DNA thing. sample is lifted on his deathbed. I think he just like, they have a really heartfelt moment where it's Kelly's final words, you know? And, Kelly and, then, just goes, and then the camera pans to mom, John, and she just gives a knowing nod. Right. Yes. And validates the, you're like a director of photography. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, so you asked if Frederico Marias would qualify this yeah. next year. Can I give you the run? Yeah, down to the top ten I would like to on the QS. That. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Number one, Connor O'Leary. Scott, have you ever heard that name before? I've seen it in print somewhere, but yeah. no. The answer is no. So I'm Con- assuming he's an Irishman. He's no. That's actually a really good guess. He's an Australian, though. Goofy footer on Quicksilver. Connor O'Leary has devoted his entire career towards grinding it out on contests. Like you haven't seen any web edits of him, and now that's again coming to fruition. So number one. After Holly Eva, Joan Deru, the Frenchman. Connor O'Leary is going to be on the WCT. Yeah. He's going to be another Ace Buckin. All right. No offense, Ace. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It, right. Cut from the same cloth as Ace Buckin, Nat Young, uh-huh. Wiggly Dantes. Right. Just like, like competitive. Nathan Hedge. Right. Shall I go on? You no. <laughs> you bored me already. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so. Joan Deru, who's a Frenchman, who, yeah. by the way, was absolutely shredding at Holly Eva. Like, Joan Deru's been on the cusp of qualifying for like 10, 10 years. years. Yeah, yeah, like, I was just going to say, like, he's 35. A- Isn't he 35? <laughs> exactly. Like, who gives a crap? Um, who's is- the guy that qualified? I'm sorry to interrupt, but there was a guy that qualified a couple of years ago. It might have been last year. And he was like a one. He was from New Zealand. Who was the Kiwi guy from New Zealand? Ricardo Christie? Yeah. Yeah. Where, he, where's Ricardo Christie? He's like 40. He had one season on the tour. He's 40 years old and he's retired. Yeah, he's. Trying hard to get back on, but okay, yeah, he's, so go no, ahead. he's not even in the top 30. You're right. He might be 40. I'm looking. I'm scrolling. So every year we get a Ricardo Christie, and so my question is, is Connor O'Leary our Ricardo Christie? We had Glenn Hall do it for two years. Right. You know, just the like, guy that's kind of grinding around. Beat Durbage was that guy, and all of a sudden Beat Durbage got 
started getting results. Dude, he won a pipe match. Well, before that, like his first couple of years on tour, you're like, oh, who is this bead guy? We couldn't even pronounce his name. Yeah, he's just a workhorse, though. Yeah. Um, so, Jean Deru, Ethan Ewing, upcoming upcoming Australian kid, you're. <laughs> Oh, Ethan. Scott contained his disdain. Uh, honestly, this kid, he got second at the U.S. Open this year. I, I didn't really care about. I was like, oh, another kid who's flicking his tail around in like one foot surf. But I'll be honest. I've had a second look now that he's been in Hawaii. Where's Jack Robinson on this list? Please tell me Jack Robinson's going to be on the CT. No. That's who we want to see. On He'll this. be there eventually. He's not on there yet. God. Uh, Ethan Ewing, though, I, I'm going to argue the kid's legit. Leonardo right. Fioravanti is number five, and we've seen him knock out Slater twice yeah. in CT events this year due to wild card entries. You know, Leonardo, he, he, to me, and this is just my totally lame take on it, but which means ignorant and naive. Yeah. He seems like the guy that's been given everything, like mm. this like golden boy guy. Like wasn't he like little bit. buddies with Belly, and he hung out with Slater for like since he's two years old. Have been dating for a long yeah, time. Yeah, and so. and he's and he seems kind of like the golden boy. He got the Quicksilver pass into the world of pro surfing. Had a trainer, got great boards, had a coach. Yeah, so I have this. He's like the anti Adriano de Souza. You know, like he's like uh, the anti yeah. blue collar guy. He's like. Yeah. He's like the son of Trump, you know? He's like Baron Trump. Nepotism. You know what I mean? It's, you get this feeling that he was kind of like, he got the fast track, which I guess, I don't know why I'm not okay with that. Jealousy is one. Maybe. There's some envy <laughs> there, which is sad on my part. But I do, I would much rather see the grinder, hardcore, you know, Vegemite eating Jack Robinson, who's just been pulling into massive tubes in West Oz then like in anonymity in West Oz, you know, and Leonardo's ruined my fantasy team a few <laughs> times. So there is some of that. Too. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I've kind of come around to Leonardo. Like I, I didn't really care. His surfing. Feeling, though, I do. Him? I do for sure. And I, well, when you see a kid, you've never heard of before with Red Bull stickers and like on all the right equipment, you, you got to wonder like, yeah, you know, he's not he's not riding used boards that have a buckle in them that, you know, like we saw with Adriano or with Gabriel to an extent. Um, so Leonardo, I've come around a little bit because I don't know, his surfing wasn't that exciting to me, you know, but then I've seen him through hard work take out Slater a couple of times and really earn it. He broke his back at Pipeline two years ago, which I think was pretty gnarly. Uh, Ian Gouveia is number seven. Bino Lopes is number eight. Frederico Morais is <laughs> number minute, ten. Thomas Bino Irvin. Lopes. Yes. Now the yes. the other guy, Ian, is that Fabio's yeah, son? Yeah. And then Bino Lopes. Yep. Who's is that? The new Wiggly Dantas. Who's Bino Lopes? He's a Brazilian, right? Regular footer, shredder. Yeah, just a random. Those Brazilians are just grinding. They're, I mean, I think he's on like Hang Loose is like his sponsor <laughs> or something. <laughs> That's like being on Hang Ten if you're in California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so again, interesting. Wow. Well, I mean, we saw it with what, Alex. What Ribeiro North Americans this year. are there? Any North Americans that are trying to qualify that are going to even have a no. chance? Kanoa's no. number three, but Kanoa's already on the tour. Right. So no. So no North nobody. Americans. And who's falling off? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I'd have to click over to that link. Oh, okay. Well. Um, Kai Otten. Jack Freestone's 29th, but I think he is on the QS, so he'll he'll requalify through the QS. Matt Banning's 27th, which what was a, the guy I was championing for yeah, a while there. Yeah, that's right. Adam Melling's 31. Jeremy Flores is 33, but it looks like he'll get on via the QS. Alex Ribeiro's going to get bumped off. 
I like Jeremy Flores a lot, but should he be on the Eddie list? Because he's on the Eddie list. I know. I saw that. I mean, the guy's I know won he charges. Andy Irons Award. I know he charges, but is he's he... He's a pipe master. Yeah. I don't know. It's questionable. Could be a Quicksilver thing there, too. Um, anyway, that's all yet to be I want to know based on Pipeline. Seabass. What's going on with him? Does well, he qualify through the CT? First of all, he's not even on the CT this year. Yeah, but I mean, he's got so many wild card into it, and those results count. So yeah. he's getting points for those CT events. And he won an event as well. He's ranked number 11th on, on the, the CT? actual CT. Oh, so, so yeah, then he's, he's qualifying. In. He's in. Um, and what about the other guy that got a lot of free passes? Stewie this Kennedy. Yeah. What's up with Stewie? Is he going to qualify? Stewie is ranked 18th. Okay. So it looks so like he'll in. be on next year. All right. So that's cool. The guys that kind of took advantage of the injury wild cards did the most, did a lot with it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, Scott, the biggest news that I had in my surf world, just personally, this past two weeks is Dane Reynolds chapter 11. Oh my God. Are you ready to transition into that? Can I? You can. Can I go first? Whatever you want. Chapter 11, Dane Reynolds, chapter 11. So good. Can I just say right now that David and I love Dane Reynolds? He is one of the best surfers in the world. He's combining this really precise rail work, this exciting and flowing, and, and I emphasize the word flowing aerial technique. But most importantly, Dane Reynolds, he ties up this classic ripping with a California style that's reminiscent of Tom Curran. So he's got all of the stuff, but the most important part of it is that he ties it up with a neat little bow known as the classic California style. But what did we learn in Chapter 11? Well, we learned that he's not driven at all by the competitive cycle of the sport. In a way, and you and I, and me especially, but both of us have been going, Dane needs to be on the tour. Dane should be on the tour or he's worthless. You know, like I'm, I'm sure I've used that sort of phrase or I've had that in a... Um, I've had that feeling about Dane that I just wish he would put it out there in the competitive world, right? Well, you feel that way, especially when he's not posting any videos on Marine Layer Productions. Like, it's okay if he's not on tour as long as he's updating us with actual free surf footage. So bear with for a me, long let, time, he hasn't. Bear with me, and then I'm, you're going to get to chime in big time here. Um, so in a way, Dane's the truest surfer in that he's openly saying – Look, the sport of surfing is not for me. Yeah, I could do it, but that's not where I do my best surfing, which is an actual quote from Chapter 11. And that's fine. And I think, David, for you and I in the year 2010, we'd be all, cool, yeah, Dane, that's cool. Dane's the best, and he's putting out Marine Layer Productions, and it's 2010. But it's 2016. And going into 2017, and you and I have both said, and this is really your take, the best surfers in the world are doing the best surfing in the competitive arena, and it's not holding them back. Owen Wright, right at Chopu before he got ruined. Absolutely. Cloudbreak last year. Cloudbreak, that's four, what I mean. Four, ten point yeah, the, a cloudbreak. Uh, John John Florence, anywhere. Felipe, Gabe Medina, Kelly Slater. And you can even throw in big wave guys like Billy Kemper. They are doing things in the competitive arena, and it's their best surfing. Couldn't agree more. So if you're expressing yourself on the canvas of a wave using a surfboard and your body with timing and precision – and only doing it for yourself and for those that appreciate it, then you're an artist. And Dane Reynolds is an artist. And really, all of us are artists. How many of us really put on competitive jerseys? Um, 
And surf competition in the purest's eyes are really just a way of saying, here, create your art, but only under certain situations and parameters. It'd be like telling Michelangelo, please paint the Sistine Chapel, which is what Pope Julius II asked of Michelangelo, and Michelangelo did it, and he did so reluctantly. Michelangelo didn't see himself as a painter, but rather as a sculptor. And Dane Reynolds doesn't see himself as a competitive surfer, but rather he is a free surfer or an artist. So in 1508, Michelangelo was hard at work on what is now a relatively obscure sculpture, (laughs) now located in Rome's St. Pietro in Vincoli Church. And in 2006, Dane Reynolds was busy with Marine Layers Productions, pumping out video edits, cool edits to his own liking with plenty of creative freedom and which stoked us all out. But along comes Pope Julius II, who coerced Michelangelo through power, public opinion, and money to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and using a format that Michelangelo didn't like, painting. And in conditions which were extremely difficult, standing up on a scaffolding, looking up, painting upwards. Laying on your back? No, he didn't lay on his back. Really? That's not true. He stood. Oh. That's, that's a falsehood. Wow. You've really researched In this. Dane's case... We all wanted to see Dane compete on the WCT. Me, you, Quicksilver, Kelly, popular surf culture, or should I say Pope culture. We demanded it. We pressured him into doing it, and Dane reluctantly acquiesced, and he competed. And Dane was many times quite impressive, as was Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel painting. (laughs) You lose your place in your notes, Scott. I did. Um But it was in a format that Dane didn't necessarily agree with. That is, catching two waves in 20 minutes while being judged. Not ideal for an artist. The Sistine Chapel was so unpleasant an experience for Michelangelo that he wrote a poem of disgust about it. With lines like, I've already grown a goiter from my torture. And lines like, my face makes a fine floor for droppings. And ending the poem with the line, I am not in the right place. I am not a painter. Dane Reynolds is not in the right place when he's a competitor. And really, that's what Chapter 11 is saying. And he says as much. Well, that was, that's a. Chapter 11 is, in his way, it's his own outlet, right? As a tortured artist. Interestingly, when I think of Dane Reynolds, I often, not always, but often, I think of the club sandwich turn he threw down at Holly Eva in competition a few years ago during the Reef Hawaiian Pro. It was just a big layback, technically. (laughs) <laughs> but yes but I was agree. that his Sistine Chapel yeah so anyway that's my take is Dane Reynolds Michelangelo boom yeah. wow man Scott that's a really really interesting metaphor that you just painted it's an illustrious comparison to make for the young Dane yes uh, I couldn't agree more though it's interesting had you been studying Michelangelo recently? Did you read a book or something? Where did this come I from? I just randomly I was I forget how it all came to I was reading about Michelangelo, and I was like, God, this is like Dane. And I just watched – I watched 11 yesterday. Yeah. Chapter 11, which was great, by the way. So great. So good. And I mentioned it in the beginning of my little soliloquy there that his precision, his rail work, his – everything about it is just – it makes you want to go surfing. And then he tells his side of the story, which is really kind of fascinating that, you know, the the panic attacks, you know – what was going on me, with Quicksilver? Let and the me pressure. explain yeah, it. Let me explain do. it for please listeners. Do. I'm sure listeners have already seen it, but Dane Reynolds' first profile piece when he hooked up with Quicksilver back in the day was called Chapter One. 
Now this is 11, 10 years later, basically, and he's releasing something called Chapter 11, which there's a double meaning there. His big sponsor was Quicksilver. Quicksilver ended up filing Chapter 11 about two years ago, bankruptcy, and as a result, Dane got cut from the team. So there's kind of a double meaning there. And the film documents a lot of Dane's modern surfing, which we haven't seen a lot of in the last year or two because he he'd been publishing everything on marinelayerproductions.com, little film edits of him surfing around his home in Ventura. We've always watched that and waited for those updates that he would give maybe weekly, and he hasn't really been updating it. So we haven't seen his surfing in the last year or so. It all got compiled into this film. He also edited in a lot of archival footage, which was really rad to see him growing up as a kid surfing. But there was a lot of his narration, voiceover work throughout this film. And what he does is tell his side of the story, not only about being let go from Quicksilver, but he takes it all the way back to his childhood, growing up in Ventura, which is, you know, two hours north of Orange County, Southern California, Orange County is where the surf industry is, the epicenter of the surf industry is, where Chloe Andino comes from, where big sponsor contracts, neon wetsuits, like all this stuff. Ventura, it's like, no, it's actually, you should be ashamed to wear that neon wetsuit or to sign that big contract. There's a lot of pride in underground shredding, you know, and not winning contests. So that's where Dane was raised, and he kind of tells the story of growing up in that culture. And then getting the big sponsor contract and signing that contract, actually doing contests begrudgingly like Scott was talking about, but ending up finishing fourth in the world, even though he's doing these contests begrudgingly. And then he signs an even bigger contract with Quicksilver at that point. He's kind of Quicksilver's golden child after Kelly Slater. At this point in his career, he finishes fourth, signs an even bigger contract with Quicksilver. Well, the economy tanks, Quicksilver starts to panic. They had new executives that they hired from outside industries. They want to renegotiate Dane Reynolds' contract. I think Kelly Slater had left at that point. So they sit Dane down and they go, hey, Dane, your contract is giant. We're going to have to either cut all these other guys on our team or cut your contract and keep these other guys on our team. Dane says, hey, dude, I come from humble beginnings. I'm willing to renegotiate my contract with you. Yeah, let's do that. I don't want to see the rest of the team get cut. So Dane renegotiates that contract with those new executives. Turns out those new executives got paid out millions and millions of dollars in bonuses. They still cut all the rest of the team. Dane feels like, hey, you guys lied to me. Who, First of all, you guys haven't worked for the company very long. It's not like I'm in bed with you guys. Like All the people that Dane loved had been fired from the company. The people who he didn't really know took these huge payouts. And um, so through this all, Dane's surfing contest, he doesn't really want to surf. Getting, get, he's getting paid less from guys who he doesn't even know. All of his friends at Quicksilver are gone. All of his team riders that he grew up with are gone. Kelly's gone. And so Dane's basically develops an anxiety disorder through all of this. And he's stressed out, fulfilling obligations he doesn't want to fulfill for people he doesn't really trust and know. And gets so bad that he can't leave the house for about six months, as Dane tells it. He eventually decides to leave Quicksilver, and um, he tells some of that story. Am I doing an yeah. accurate job of telling this? Yeah, yeah, for I'm sure. And, and, and really that was sort of the pinnacle of the story, right, was that the anxiety – 
it was quite liberating. Once he left Quicksilver, it was like, oh, cool, I'm back to being myself again. Yeah. So this is a direct quote from Dane in the film, which I thought was kind of the pinnacle of it. It was something that I had it. It was interesting to hear Dane's side of the story, firstly. And he tells it really candidly, I felt. So this is a direct quote. It says, I feel like at some point I need to thank Quicksilver. Young Guns, first chapter, those films put me on the map. But who is Quicksilver? Who do I thank? The shareholders? Bob McKnight? The people people working there when I signed? The people working there now? Oak Tree Financial? I really do appreciate my time there and the projects that we worked on and the money that they gave me. But everyone I feel is responsible has been fired or been laid off. So maybe we band together and rage against the machine. <laughs> which I think is radical. Yeah. That's like there's an element of Dane that's a little bit punk rock that we all love, you know, yeah. and, and that's what it is. It's him going, yeah, dude, I made millions of dollars off of it, but you guys made tens of millions. So no shame there. And what do we do now? The one take, the other takeaway that I have is, is I don't, I still not positive what Dane's motivation is. For publishing this? No, just just like on a daily basis. Like if you're competing, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm doing the tour this year and I'm going to train and I've got this goal and I'm going to go get that and that's going to be my thing. And and so is is it enough for Dane to be like, you know what, my motivation is just go out and free surf as good as I can pot and just really express myself as an artist on these waves wherever they are and just travel around and surf. Like is that going – I guess my question is, is that going to be fulfilling for him? I don't know. Yeah. We'll wait I, and see for I, chapter 12. I think it's – that's John John's chapter, by oh, the way. Chapter 13? Oh, that's <laughs> – um, I think it's fulfilling to an extent, but I mean you need legacy. You know, you need like bigger life goals. He's obviously launching a clothing company. That was at the end. I don't know if you watched the last bit of the film. There was like a little 30-second commercial basically. Uh, I, I actually didn't. I, when they rolled credits, I was over it. Uh, okay. Um Kelly Slater commented about Chapter 11 on Stab Magazine. Did you read that? No. Kelly, I mean, Kelly says that Dane's the best guy to be riding a surfboard. He said the layers of details in the turns and combos he's doing signify huge advancement in the average surfer's life. He's putting together multiple maneuvers per wave that most pros don't even have in their entire bag of tricks. There's a couple waves at Rincon in about the middle of the film. Where there's one where like a guy drops in on him or something and the guy kicks out and there's this section that Dane attacks with so much like raw, raw, just in, in, and it's a big wave. It's yeah. like an eight foot wave. Yeah. And it, and he could have just done an incredible gnarly out of this world. Dane Reynolds hack attack, whatever you want to call it. But he did something that was he literally was like through his surfing. He was flipping the guy off. Mm-hmm. They just cut him off, and it was really fascinating. Yeah, super inspiring. I mean, I was so inspired to go oh, oh, totally. try to rip and shred. It well, that's so. That's one of Kelly's just sur- and and to surf like an artist, you know, to express myself. That's the thing that Dane and Tom Curran and Rob Machado and Kelly and Andy. Dave Rostovich and Andy, those guys. They make you want to go be an artist on the wave right. phase as opposed to, oh, I need to go score some points. And there's totally. a big ass difference. Well, talking about wanting to go shred after watching it, Kelly Slater, one of his quotes was, the film was infectious. It's 2.42 a.m. right now and I want to go surf. That's what a great film should do. I'm inspired to surf tomorrow and be better 
than I, I am was too. Today. That's how I f- exactly how I feel right now. One other comment that Kelly had about this piece that I want to share was he said, "I appreciate the clarity of his looking back at pivotal times professionally. I feel I learned a lot about myself watching that film. Dame put truth where other people can't seem to put it or are uncomfortable. For me, I just want to live with an." Oh, I'm sorry. That was a Dane quote. Kelly then goes on to say, he said it himself. He was trying to validate his worth to fulfill some unknown debt or expectation of him. There's an unknown in the pricing game of surfing dollars and Dane is the ultimate intangibility. Wow. That's a great quote. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So really seminal film, I think, because um, there's Look, honesty so, goes so far. Well, it does. But Dane commented on so much of the surfing zeitgeist right now where we're all unsure about the equitability of these surfers getting big contracts and others getting let go. And just like Dane was the pinnacle of all those things happening. And he really succinctly commented on it and then gave us unbelievable surfing that really just validated all of his worth all along. Um, it's a, it's a really important film, I think. It was, yeah, I would totally agree with you. I mean, and I went into it just kind of going, oh, okay. My son is like, hey, have you seen Dane's new thing? And I'm like, no, I'll check it out. For free. So I'll have something to talk about on the podcast. And so I, I went into it completely like, you know, just another Dane Reynolds drop. Yeah. You know? And I was completely stoked by it. And the, the honesty, um, you know, it's kind of speaks to the way Kelly is too. And it was just incredible. It was just an incredibly well done. It answered a lot of my questions about Dane Reynolds. It made me a bigger fan than I've ever been. It made me understand that that he's gone through these things. He is a Michelangelo. He is an artist. He doesn't want to be trapped into the Pope's you know, consignment of an art piece. I agree. Great analogy, by the way. I appreciated that. Um, I always have viewed him as such, and I've always loved his and Minnie Blanchard's filmmaking aesthetic. You know, like it's lo-fi. I like the music selections. It's really offbeat. It's things that you would never expect to go together, but it's always really beautifully done. And um, I just love it. You know, it's it's distinctly their own. And, yeah, and they've it, stuck it is to really it. good. They've it stuck to really, it over really the years. Good. I don't think it would work for anybody else. I wonder if it's in the Surfer Poll, um, the Surfer Magazine Awards or whatever they're called. Or if it's it. too late. Because I think that polling took place before that. They'd got be released. they'd be silly not to acknowledge it at this point. Yeah, that's the problem with you. Got to. I know in the past when I worked at Surfer, we always left room for something that was going to happen while we were in Hawaii. Like right. something crazy is going to happen, and we have to go on stage and acknowledge it, or we'd be foolish. You think Dane cares? You know what I mean? No, but like. a media outlet. The other thing that's interesting, right, is the timing of all this because Dane Reynolds really came along during a period when. The print magazines, which used to be how you made your dollars and how Quicksilver did their marketing, and that started to shrink up, you know, from, say, 2004 to now, right? We just saw this shrinking of – and changing, really, a changing of how we um, disseminate surf information to the masses, you know? And so I'm sure Quicksilver's like, whoa, we're not getting our bang for our buck because he's not in ads or in – but he is doing Marine Layer. But what does that mean? We don't even know how to measure that, you know? And Mm -hmm. are we getting an ROI on this? And, you know, like – there were so many different things that came together during Dane's time, and he's sort of, he's sort of like the poster child for that. Totally. Yeah, interesting. The by the way, the clothing brand that Dane advertises at the end of the film that apparently he's launching is called Former, F O R M E R. I know it was 
advertised that he was launching one with uh, Craig Anderson a year ago called Destroyer. I guess that's been scrapped, but former is what he's focused on now, just for anybody who wants to support that in the future. Yeah. Anyway, Hmm. fantastic piece. We're all in love with Dane once again. We always were. But now we're not calling for him to surf in contests anymore. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, you, you mentioned that rock or uh, Rincon footage. The footage that was so memorable to me was from Rocky Point last year. I don't know. If, it was kind of towards the beginning of the film. Yeah. But he does a couple of turns at Rocky Rights that it's like overhead and a half just that are so brutal. Just so much power, so much aggression. Just like it's so gnarly. Yeah, so he's gnarly. he's uh, he's the the one to the be real deal, dude. He's the one to to look to when you want to be like, okay, what does good surfing look like in 2017? And how would you want to surf like if you could pick anybody that you want to surf like him and John John and Kelly? Yeah, I mean, you want to you want to surf like yourself, right? You want to be able to if you're truly an artist, you kind of want to take inspiration from those things, but you don't want to be exactly like them. You want to put your own flair on it. For instance, you have the chop-off hairdo. If you could surf <laughs> with your hair being dry the whole time, that would be insane. I want to surf like myself, but I want myself to be Dane Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Fair by, enough. by the way, speaking of surfing like yourself, um, I saw my cousin at Thanksgiving, yeah. and he said that he sees you in the water at Cardiff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said you're ripping, dude. Yeah, I, I met him. I'm trying to remember. Joel. Joel, yeah, super cool guy. Came up, said, "Hey, I'm Dave's cousin." Like you're, he's, he's my cousin's husband, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, no, he told me you're ripping. I was like, I was like, "Hey, dude, on the down low, how does Scott surf?" Like, tell me he sucks so that I can make fun of him on the air. And he's like, "No, dude, he's styled out. You got a bunch of set waves on that Andrini." Um, Serena, right, yeah. is what you're writing. Yeah. He's like, no, and he explained the waves that you got and your hand placement and said you were shredding. I was like, dang it. I'll have to make fun of something <laughs> yeah, else that he's doing. you can still find many How's other his ways golf score? <laughs> to make fun of me. <laughs> Not the least of which is how many times I forget things during this podcast <laughs> or lose my train of thought. Show or, up without notes. Right, that doesn't happen, though. Later. Didn't happen today. Didn't happen today. I'm noteworthy. Anyway, that's... I do have one more thing. I don't know if we have time for it. Yeah, we do. And then I've got Duke and Kook and Musty Moment as well. What's your one more thing, Scotty? Bass? They've started to destroy the fort at Lunata Bay. Oh, the, this is an update the from de- demonst- the um, demo- demolition, I should say. Okay. At uh, the famous Palos Verde surf spot, notoriously localized by the Lunata Bay boys. They built this fort down there over the years. It was it's quite a quite a construction job they did down there, and. Um, the uh, county or whoever it is, the city—I'm not sure. One of those minutes, one of those uh, municipalities. Uh, yeah, not the yeah. Whoever it was, who was ever in charge of it, they they helicoptered in jackhammers and they just busted up the fort. So the fort was, like I say, it was quite an, a situation down there. There was a fire pit, a barbecue, tables. Like you could see how you'd get completely terrorized if you walked past that thing. Guys throwing rocks at you and stuff. But yeah. anyway. They're breaking it up. The Palos Verdes Estates is breaking up the fort. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got must-see moment in Dukes and Kooks. You want to hear them? Yes. Okay. My must-see moment is Albie Layers 540 slash 720. Which is it? I'm claiming, dude, I'm in the minority here, but I'm claiming 540. Wow. Yeah. What are you claiming? It's a double spin. 
Are you thinking because he landed in the water and then did the rest of the spin during the, his, when his fins were engaged? Yeah, but the 720 enthusiast will argue that when he landed in the water, it's still a 720. And the spin is beyond a 720. You know, I'm trying to think when... When uh, Tony Hawk did that 900, he did like the last little quarter bit of the turn with the wheels touching. With the wheels touching, but I mean, I just I'm not that I'm not really in a place to judge it. It was just mind blowing. It's a double spin, backside double spin. But you're not, but you're not going to give him the degrees. You're going to it's a 690. The the problem with the conversation is that snowboarders and skateboarders chime in for how they rate these things, and I'm not sure that that's. And you're basically saying, hey, get out of my way, dude. This is my culture. It's surfing. We do it different than exactly. you guys. Exactly. Right? And I use science. Science. Like basic rotational degrees. So right. when you you're look at- You're a renaissance man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm the owner of the chop hop. You've got- you, can't, you can't question me. You're so, using scientific method and that's that. No subjectivity. I just look at it where when he launches off the wave, the nose of his board is pointed this way. And when he lands, it's pointed that way. That's 540 degree turn. You know, okay, you're using the nose of his board as your determining factor. Or you could use the tail. Just what is the rotation of one right. part of a surfboard when he launches and when he lands? It's 540. Anyway, double backside spin. Um, the reason why this is my must-see moment, I know everybody's already seen it probably, but it really got overshadowed. Like it happened and then Dane dropped his edit and then John John dropped his new episode of 12 and Albie's thing has disappeared. You I, know, know? I know. It really, it was I there for a that. split second and then you stop thinking about it instantly. Uh, so I think it deserves a little more recognition. Another reason it deserves the recognition is his filming companion. They're called Take Shelter Productions on Maui. Mm-hmm. They detailed the entire saga. They put out like this four minute edit detailing the backside double spin over the course of the past year, they're interviewing Albie. He's talking about how much work went into it, how many times he's tried this rotation, how many injuries he's suffered trying this rotation, how many boards he's broken. And then they have all those clips with dates and timelines on it. So it'll be like Albie's talking about, yeah, two years ago I started trying it. And they show a clip from 2014 of him trying it and falling. And then all throughout it. And what I loved about this four minute clip is that it shows how much of a workhorse Albie Layer is. And he even says, John John Florence, Gabriel Medina, Matt Miola have natural ability, Clay Marzo, where they just go out and things happen. They explode into a lip and somehow ride out of it and things happen. He's like, I don't have that natural ability. I have to go out there and plan something, look for sections and try it. And then I fail and then I have to try it a hundred more times. And so there was an element of Adriana Souza, believe it or not, that I saw in Albie Layer where it's just hardcore work ethic. And then he he finds his result eventually. So I love that about Albie. He's a lunch pail, blue collar guy. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And Albie, I apologize for making the Adriana de Souza comparison, but it was take it in the spirit in which it was intended. It was intended with love. <laughs> so anyways, I'll have that on surfsplendorpodcast.com for you to check that clip. My I'm gonna go out on a high moment with the Duke. So I'm going to lead in with the kook first. Okay. Who's your kook of the week? The kook is usually done with a jovial spirit. This no, one's it's not. Act- oh, okay. Well, go ahead. This one's a little sad. Oh no. Um, my kook is the dude who shot, uh, Ricardo dos Santos. This is brought back into the news because there's an, uh, stab magazine produced a documentary film on 
It's called Remember Ricardo, the story behind the murder of professional surfer Ricardos Dos Santos. Uh, he was shot by an off-duty um, military policeman two years ago now, I think it was. Uh, wasn't it a drug ago. deal? Not no, he, no, 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 not, not him being an, involved in drugs, but wasn't the guy like a drug guy or something? No, oh. no, no, no. An off-duty policeman? Yeah. Yeah, so this Stab Magazine produced this documentary. It's 17 or 18 minutes long. It's well worth watching. Um, and it documents this. They interview a bunch, Kelly Slater, Adriano, Gabriel, John John, but also um, Ricardo Dos Santos's mother and his uncle who was there when the murder happened. Uh, really tragic story. Ricardo Dos Santos was 24 years old when he got killed. Completely unnecessary completely indicative of the random violence that happens in brazil with regularity actually and not only that but a lot of the murders from police officers who have murdered innocent uh people really crazy story but anyways i'll put that that video up on surfsplendorpodcast.com it's well worth watching and well worth remembering ricardo dos santos's murder so there's that i've got some updates on um Eddie contest okay. in Hawaii. Luke Shepherdson was an Icao family pick. I'm, oh. I'm learning here. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, well worth it then. Worthy. And Ramon Navarro, who's on the alternate list. Yeah. He holds the single highest heat score ever. Really? Yeah. What Do you know what the score is? No, I'm just getting this information from surfermag.com. Oh, okay. From their forum. So my, maybe it's not completely legit. Well, my Duke of the week is Patagonia for donating their black Friday sales to charity. Do you want to make a guess at what Patagonia's in intake was for black Friday global online sales, global online global sales based on retail. They're going to, they're going to double online. down and give money. No, 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 no. They're donating all of their black Friday sales, all global retail and online. Guess what? Every, uh, every dollar that came in Friday, they're donating. Yep. I'm guessing that it was $60 million. Wow. No, it was way less. <laughs> their, expect, their expectation was $2 million in sales. Uh-huh. $4 million. 10 Good for them. Yeah. They, they, they basically – Here's a quote from their website. Last week, we announced that we'd give 100% of our global retail and bl- online Black Friday sales directly to grassroots nonprofit organizations working on the front lines to protect our air, water, and soil for future generations. We heard from many of our customers calling it the fundraiser for the earth. So customers knew about it in advance that they were going to be doing it, so they supported it as they would a fundraiser. Well, we're humbled to report the response was beyond expectations. With your help, Patagonia reached a record-breaking $10 million in sales. Um, the enormous love our customers showed to our planet on Black Friday enables us to give every penny to hundreds of grassroots environmental organizations around the world. Many of these organizations are underfunded and under the radar and are overwhelmed with your commitment. Um, the science is telling us loud and clear that we have a problem. By getting active in the community, we can raise our voice defend policies and regulations, protect wild places and wildlife, reduce carbon emissions, build a modern in energy economy based on investment in renewables, and more crucially, ensure the United States remains fully committed to the vital goals set forth in the Paris Agreement on climate change. So, Well, that's such a great Duke Conamoka 
Good job. Totally. I'm totally in favor and of you that. You and I are oh, already dear. fans of Patagonia. I'm a but huge it's fan. stuff like this that reminds us, like, dude, I hate like I always want a deal. I want to buy stuff on sales, obviously. But Patagonia, I feel no qualms about spending full yeah. freight on. And their stuff's good too. I mean, I wouldn't buy it if it was crap. Um I will say this though, regarding my kook, and I don't know much about it. But I've been getting caught up in it in the last couple of days, and it's okay. that North Dakota oh, yeah. pipeline thing. Yeah, Standing Rock. Standing Rock. Thank you. Isn't there whoever came up with the idea of running the pipeline underneath a lake of water on an on an Indian reservation is a complete douchebag. And again, I say this without any research or quite naive and ignorant to exactly all of what's going on, but just. Globally, like if an alien came down from Earth and they said, yeah, we're going to transport all this oil from Alaska down to Texas or wherever it is down in the Gulf of Alaska, Gulf of Mexico. And we're going to do it by using a pipeline that's going to run underneath a water table known as Lake, whatever the lake is. It just seems like there's got to be a better way. And why wouldn't you resolve this problem the proper way? And yeah, you might, it might be some cost, like you might lose some money, but big picture, you're really going to, potentially contaminate this watershed right like i just i just i just i'm frustrated i I feel like there's got to be a better way it's 2017 you guys yeah like please tell me you can build this thing somewhere else and go around it and i know yeah okay it's going to cost you another let's say it costs you another 30 million dollars something tells me that you've worked 30 million dollars of fudge money into the equation here and you can figure it out like right in the long run, you're going to make your thirty million dollars back. I'm I'm quite confident, or you wouldn't have invested in this whole thing. Like, yeah. do the right thing here. Yeah, crazy situation with the government's involvement and in intervening and in violence. Uh, it know. just seems so wrong. Well, what I'm glad to see is surfers have really taken up the cause. Well, it has nothing to do with surfing, you know. But like surfers are activists good for the I'm, ocean and, and you and i are by it. talking about it on yeah. the show i think it's bullshit yeah and yeah it's just and like i said i wish i knew more about it because I, I do speak from a place of ignorance here i've just been peripherally following it and i just know that it's not the right thing to do right it just simply is not the right thing so let's do the right thing like how hard is that let's just do the right thing yeah and running a pipeline underneath a lake is stupid totally Okay. Um, you want to? I'm going to end this show on a light note with a Steve Ray antidote. Vaughan. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold off on that for one second. I want to tell you a story about the Sistine Chapel real quick. Uh-oh. I'll go out with a personal story. Okay. Um, I know my parents occasionally listen to this podcast. I had a story where I was in Florence with uh, my parents, with my dad, my stepmom, and we took a day trip to Rome. And so we had a very limited amount of time that we were going to be in Rome. And I was like well, we got to go to the Sistine Chapel. Like among the things that you're going to see in Rome, the Sistine Chapel is at the top of my list. And my dad's like, oh, it's in the Vatican. You got to wait in lines to go into the Vatican. Then there's additional lines to go see that chapel. Like I don't want to spend most of our day standing in lines to see that. And I'm like, dad, come on. It's the Sistine Chapel. We're here. We got to see this, right? He's like, why? Why do we got to see that? Why don't we go see these other three or four sites that we could do in the same amount of time? I'm like, dad, come on. He's like, I don't get why you want to do that instead of these things. I'm like, dad, it's the Sistine Chapel. We got to go do this. So I talk him into it, but the entire time he's fighting me and asking why, why? And I'm like, because, you know, like, so we end up doing it. It's amazing. Like everybody's thrilled that we did it. We end up back in Florence for dinner that night, or we're walking to dinner, and we pass a kiosk, we pass a kiosk, 
and there's postcards. And one of them shows the creation of Adam where it's God and I think Adam's fingers coming together, which is like the center of the Sistine Chapel, right? And, uh, and it says at the bottom of the postcard, it says Michelangelo. And I point out the postcard. I'm like, hey, look, we were there today. That was at the Sistine Chapel. My dad looks at it and goes, Michelangelo painted that? <laughs> and I go, yeah. Why do you think I wanted to go? He goes, I don't know. I asked you 20 times why you wanted to go. I go, well, I didn't think to tell you Michelangelo painted the thing. That's like the most obvious detail. I just assumed you knew the basics about this. He's like, I didn't know. I asked you 20 times. You wouldn't tell me. Oh, my God. He's like, I wish I would have known that before we went. I'm like, Dad, how do you not know Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel? It was amazing. Uh, I wonder if he remembers that. Like, I don't think I've ever talked to him about it since then. That's quite an anecdote. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, Dane Reynolds is Michelangelo. And um, until next time. Oh, we should mention you can still donate since everyone's in the mood to give. Yeah. Support the show. Support our show. Yeah. So, listeners, you can donate on either Scott's platform, boardroomshow.com. Or my platform, surfsplendorpodcast.com. We have a donate button. It's done via PayPal. It's real simple to do. Um, we appreciate those who have donated in the past uh, or in the past month or so that we've had this set up. But what we're encouraging you to do is just do a five month, five dollar a month donation. You won't even notice five bucks missing from your account every month. But if every listener we had donated five bucks a month to this, Scott and I would be able to do weekly shows, and we'd be able to do all sorts of radical other things for the show that we've been wanting to do for years. So uh, consider donating. We really appreciate that. Perfectly stated. Consider donating $5 a month. And you won't notice the $5 out of your pocketbook, but you will notice the quality quality, uh, and and more of the frequency. We will be doing more shows if we can get enough people to consider subscribing for $5 a month. Yep. All right. Until next time. Adios and aloha. Surfsplendorpodcast.com is the website where you can find everything that we discussed in this episode. At Surfsplendor is the Instagram account. Make sure to give us a follow and tag friends in our posts to get them to become fans of the show as well. The more listeners that we have of this show, the more radical guests we'll be able to attract, the larger guests. And uh, we're working our way to Kelly Slater. I've said it before, that is the end goal. As soon as we get Kelly on the show, bang, I'm hanging up the headphones and walking away from the pod game. Thanks as always for listening. Feel free to email me with any comments or show ideas or just leave them right there on the website. Each individual episode has its own dedicated show page, and so you can put your comment right there. I'll make sure to find it and heed your advice. And until next week, this is, of course, David Scales signing off for Surf Splendor and reminding you, in between listening to podcasts, make sure that you get back into the ocean, get a couple of waves, and shred on.
Nothing at all.